0: Congratulations again. It's To get a triple-double at any level, let alone in the NBA, is a hell of an accomplishment.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. I, mean, I just tried to make the right plays, keep everybody involved, and it just so happens that I ended up getting a triple-double due to some clutch performances from some other guys who you know, made threes, finished around the basket, and set some great screens for me. Everybody doesn't get a text back. I'm not going to lie to you, man. It's not that I think I'm bougie or above certain things, but... My circle is tight-knit. I think that when you're, when you're in a spot to where you're happy with the direction you're heading in, you're striving for more, and you have a good solid foundation, you don't want to open yourself up too much. That experience and that, that championship pedigree from the Patriots, they're all battle-tested. They've all been there before. They probably have a Super Bowl routine that they're going through because this is like the ninth time for Brady. And they know what to expect, whereas that that element of surprise is something you can't really prepare for, so I'm not sure how the Rams will react to that. Welcome to the Darren Sproles episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 43, currently in Portland, Oregon. Enjoying some downtime at the house. Um, A nice little layover at home. I think we have two games in 16 days. um, Play the Utah Jazz tomorrow at 7.30, and then we don't play again until the following week. One of those rare breaks uh, during the middle of the season to where... The NBA kind of gives you some favor after a tough season of travel, you know, logging the most miles in the NBA as we always do, flying all across the world. The NBA decided to give us a break until next Tuesday. So I'm extremely excited about that and really looking forward to, you know, trying to win as many games as possible before All-Star break. But without further ado, there's a lot of stuff going on across the NBA. Trade deadline's coming up. Um, It's about nine days away. Players are demanding for trades. my co-host, aka Mr. Jordan Schultz, has a lot going on in his family's life right now as well. So we have tons and tons of stuff to talk about. So without further ado, Jordan, welcome to the pull-up pod as always.
0: Yo, my man, thank you so much. And uh, you know, I just want to congratulate you on the first career triple double and a career that I'm sure will have many more. Uh, I got a chance to watch that at home. And it was it was not only was it great to watch, but I it it was like Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? I, I believed it was going to happen, but there were a couple like, you know, missed jumpers. I think Aminu missed one and I was like, oh man, come on. Get (laughs) CJ this, get CJ this triple double. And I could tell you really wanted it. The guys wanted it for you. It must have
1: been really fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. But I think the biggest thing was that we were able to come away with a a much-needed win in the Western Conference. You know, playing at home, playing against sub-500 teams, you have to take advantage. And obviously, we were short-handed. Dame uh, didn't play. He was sitting out. E.T. ended up not playing after about the first quarter, so we were a little short-handed. But I just tried to make the right plays, have fun out there, keep everybody involved. And it just so happens that I ended up getting a triple-double due to some – some clutch performances from some other guys who, you know, made threes, finished around the basket and set some great screens for me, but uh, it's always nice to 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 be able to pull off the, the Russell rest Russ book, the, like triple double. Almost almost got the 30 ball with the, with the uh triple double.
0: See, at what point did you realize you had a real shot at, at the triple double because it seemed like you were on the cusp for a while? Yeah. And then, you know, uh obviously, you know, you you were just you needed that last assist and it felt like guys were talking to you. I could tell at least I thought you you were pretty well aware. So what was kind of going on in your head cuz obviously it must have been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I woke up, I knew I had a chance to to really impact the game and I had went to dinner with Dane. We went to Bamboo Sushi along with our barber Tay. Shout out to Tay the barber. Um the night before the game, and he basically told me that he was, he was feeling a little sore. He had some nagging stuff that, that was probably going to keep him out. So he's like, make sure you get your rest tonight because we're going to need you to really turn up for us to have a chance to win this game. So I knew my load was going to be heavier. I knew my usage rate was going to be higher and uh, just kind of prepared to do whatever it, it, it takes to win. And just based on how they were, they were playing me and some of those picking and rolls, and how the flow of the game went, I knew I was going to be able to, to get assists. I knew I was going to be able to rebound, and, and scoring comes most naturally to me. So when you play aggressively – and draw attention, it's easy to kind of make plays. And uh, that's what I did. And as the game kind of progressed, I think I had 12, 6, and 4 in the first quarter or something like that. So as the game kind of progressed, I was looking at the stat line. It was pretty balanced and, you know, I was controlling the game. And that's when guys were like, uh, you should, you can get a triple-double. And it's, it, you never know how the flow is going to go. You might get five rebounds in a quarter and not get one again to the fourth. And the assist is just more so about guys making shots, and you can never really control that. You just put them in a the position to succeed. And, you know, down the stretch, guys we made some shots, and then, you know, there was a there was like a dead period to where we were just going back and forth, missing shots or getting fouled and going into free throw lines. So that's when I, I figured, you know, if I don't get a triple-double, it was a great game, and we were able to still get the win.
0: Man, it was great. I just congr- – congratulations again. It's To get a triple-double at any level, let alone in the NBA, is, uh, is a hell of an accomplishment, so – was really excited for you, well-earned, um, and obviously a busy week in the association. A lot of talk about Anthony Davis, um, Lonzo Ball as a result. What, you know, if you had to diagnose Anthony Davis right now, where he's going, the best actual, you know, landing spot for him, and then also, like, are you surprised that Rich Paul is agent, who we hired recently? Um it has come out and said, you know, we, we're we not going to resign in, in
1: New Orleans. No, I'm not surprised. I think the writing was on the wall, honestly, looking at the situation, you know, him yeah. firing his agent, him hiring Rich, kind of that, that affiliation, and, and then the rumors of him going to dinner with Brown and, and kind of, you know, working towards this point. I think this was in the works for a long time now and him potentially looking at going to a big market. I think it was just about what market he would choose. I think he spends his summers in L.A. and just looking at the the situation he's currently in in New Orleans. They've been through a lot of injuries. A lot of things have happened. And just for him, figuring out what he wanted to do. I think looking at the, the fact that the trade deadline is, I don't know, nine, 10 days away, they probably felt like the timing was right for him to kind of speak up now and give teams the chance to potentially put some packages together. Understanding that if they don't get the trade done by the by the uh, trade deadline, he's going to have to finish this season. And then he doesn't really have control over where he goes because Boston Celtics can put together a package. There's a lot of different things that can happen once he goes into the actual free agency and goes through the draft process of uh, teams acquiring assets and, and figuring out what they want to do. So I think this is his way to try to get, to get to L.A. or New York or whatever the case may be sooner than later as opposed to having to wait or even playing out his current deal.
0: You know, to me— the Lakers are in a a really interesting position because they have young assets, obviously Ball and Ingram and, and Kuzma, but they also have LeBron James. And the reason that that's important, aside from him being, you know, the best player arguably the last decade plus, is the fact that guys are gonna want to come play with him. And Anthony Davis, you know, you have to imagine the same agent as LeBron. Um, the fit in LA would be tremendous for him. I I, I just don't see how they could make a trade right now or why they'd want to make a trade to give up all of that when they have a great opportunity to sign him uh, as a free agent, uh, knowing that not only do they have LeBron, but they have the cap. And it just seems like everything's lined up for Davis to be a Laker come free agency.
1: Yeah, I agree with you in a sense that it's lined up for him to become a, a free agent and land there during free agency. But I think the biggest factor in them deciding to speak of now is the fact that Anthony Davis is trying to win now. He wants to play with LeBron now. He doesn't want to have to go through LeBron's seventeenth season. Get a head start on it. Yep. Get a head start because then in, in in that case, they won't play together until LeBron's eighteenth season, which is essentially two years from now. And you've seen you've seen the Lakers, you obviously understand what they're capable of when LeBron's healthy and in their lineup, but it's it's no secret that Anthony Davis changes that team. He changes that team right away, you know, regardless of what they give up. This is an all-star caliber player. You know, when he's playing his best, he's top five players in the NBA and his versatility and size kind of changes the game and matchups. And look at the fact that there's a lot of rumors saying that Kyrie Irving could be opening up to potentially coming to the Lakers uh, in the future as a free agent. That really makes that situation interesting because if they're able to acquire Anthony Davis now and then they can potentially sign someone else through free agency, that gives them, you know, three super mega... High caliber level players, and we've already seen how good LeBron and uh, Kyrie can be together. Now imagine if they had yeah. you know, a guy like Anthony Davis. No, I'm with you. I, th- that's fair. I misspoke
0: too. I mean, it, you're right. He's going into his 18th year, LeBron. He, it's this is the first time he's really missed significant time. I, I will say that last summer we all thought there was a really good chance that Paul George would be a Laker, and obviously we saw what happened him him staying OKC okay, in the year he's having. Um, Just because you have cap room, just because you have a guy like LeBron, uh, you have Magic, doesn't mean that you're going to get every free agent or or get the top free agents. What it does do is it it puts pressure, I think, on other teams um, to potentially make a move now and try to sell whoever their guy is that they need uh, on staying there if it's going to be a free agent, E.G. or, uh, I'm sorry, I.E. Anthony Davis. I don't think that C.J., the, the Lakers are in desperation mode. I do think that they have seen how hard it is without LeBron. And when you have young players that haven't really learned how to win, um, if you add a guy like Anthony Davis now and you ensure that he's there, you you, you, you not only do you get a head start on next year, but you put yourself in an opportunity now where you can start to learn how to win at least um, come playoff time. Yeah, I, I
1: agree. I think that they're continuing to to build and get that experience and gain the trust of not only the organization and the staff, but of LeBron. You know, LeBron being able to kind of sit back and watch and assess their games, you know, seeing how they're playing without him, seeing who's the aggressors, who's able to make plays for themselves, who's able to make plays for others. I think there's a lot of factors that, that, that went into their decision to kind of assess how they can improve. Looking at the Western Conference, they're two games over 500, but Ten games behind first place, and one and a half games behind the Clippers, and they're probably going to lose tonight. You know, as we as we're uh, recording this podcast, so time is of the essence. LeBron's coming back from his injury at some point in the near future, but. They took a step back with him being injured. They lost a lot of games, and they have a lot of ground they have to cover in their Western Conference to where teams like the Utah Jazz, you know, they had a slow start, but they're playing extremely well, and their schedule softens up the rest of the season. So you're looking at a team who's hot, and their schedule's going to be in their favor. The Clippers have been pretty steady and consistent, and Gallinari's hurt and could be returning any day now. So that's a team who's five games over 500, trending upward, heading in the right direction. The San Antonio Spurs, who Rudy just hit a game-winner against the Phoenix Suns, they're trending upward and Chris Paul just returned to the Rockets and Clint Capella is three weeks removed from returning. So you look at all these teams who've had injuries and, and had things not go their way, but they've still been able to to hang steady in playoff position. The Lakers are, have to, are going to have to go on a serious climb and not sure what type of wear and tear that's going to do on LeBron's body trying to get into the playoffs these last 25, 30 games.
0: Who do you think needs one another more? In other words, does LeBron need AD more
1: or do you think AD needs Braun more? I think it's mutual at this point. It's obvious that, you know, being in the Western Conference, you have to have a lot of heavy hitters. You got to have depth. You got to have star power. You got to have guys who can, you know, essentially demand a double team or demand a crowd. And AD is a guy who can demand a double team and demand a crowd. And he has star power. And you have LeBron who's Shown, he's capable of winning by himself. He's capable of winning with some guys you can pull off the street uh, and street clothes and put them on and put them in in game gear. But he needs help. He's getting older. Um, obviously, the Western Conference is different than the Eastern Conference, and I think he's understanding that time is of the essence. You know, heading into his sixteen, seventeen season, he wants to have help now, and not depend on free agency later. It's
0: it's really telling of the league right now that we we once again have a situation where a young superstar, in this case, Anthony Davis, um, is dictating his terms the way that he wants it. I think Rich Paul has pretty much played it by the book here. Obviously, there's a $50,000 fine, but but they, they tried to make it work in New Orleans. Obviously, they had success against you guys in the playoffs. This year, they went south, um, didn't work out. He tried to battle through injury, it didn't work out. He didn't want to give up on the season. I think I think the decision to move on from New Orleans has been made, uh, was made a while ago. But I think of the way in which it's going about now is once again indicative of of how the league has changed, where the power is within the players. The players have the power because they're able to dictate the terms that they want. Whereas 15 years ago, or even 10 years ago, um, before these so-called super teams. It wasn't that way. It was the owners. It was the way that the, that the CBA was collectively bargained. But I, to me, this is, whether or not you agree with Anthony Davis wanting to leave, to me, this is a good thing for the league because it shows, uh, once again, that the players are the ones controlling the, you know, their destiny and their fate. And I, and I think that's a good thing as fans.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good thing for, for the league, for the players in general, because as KD said before, we have a small amount of time to play the game we love. You have to do what makes you happy. And these organizations, time after time, do what's best for the organization and nothing is said about it. So when a player decides to speak up and kind of voice his opinion on, you know, where he would like to go and kind of controls his own destiny, some people frown upon it. But I think that he has a right to speak up. And I think what you're going to see here shortly is that, you know, when teams like the Raptors, teams like the Milwaukee Bucks, who are putting trades together to potentially get, a player like Anthony Davis you'll hear his camp come out and say look you guys can trade for him if you want to but we're going to make it known that he will not be resigning with you guys and he will be pursuing the Los Angeles Lakers in 2020 and that's what you'll probably start to see as the the talks heat up and as it gets closer to the deadline he's probably going to warn some of these teams like hey you can rent me if you want to for a year and a half a season and a half but My plan and intention is to leave. Now, whether he leaves or not is another thing because the situation could be perfect for him. He could flourish. It could be similar to the Paul George situation where you thought it was a foregone conclusion, but then he meshes well, enjoys the situation and wants to improve upon it. But I think you'll see a lot of teams roll the dice and not care if it's a rental or not because of the caliber player he is and just try to trust your organization, the development of the franchise and, and how you're able to take off with him on your roster.
0: CJ, I think this is a really important time for Anthony Davis as well—not N- just the player, but his entire unibrow, uh, you know, personality, if you will. You know, he's 25 years old. He's undoubtedly one of the best players in the world, and yet I, I don't know if he's seen in the same stratosphere as some of these other, you know, superstars. In-, in other words, he was not top 10 in jersey sales two years ago. Last year, he was 15th. He received two and a half million fan votes for the All Star game. That- that's a good number. But just for you know perspective, it's behind guys like Luca or Embiid, you know, terrific players. But I think most people would say Anthony Davis is better than both. And you know, he he has one more year on his contract after this season. But if if Anthony Davis is able to become a Laker sooner than later, I think he instantly puts himself in that conversation that he so badly probably deserves to be in as. One of the best five or six players in the world, and is one of the real faces of the league. And I, I just don't think he's had that in New Orleans.
1: Yeah, I look forward to seeing what happens in the next nine days. The, the NBA is going to get very interesting, you know, come this postseason and, and after the postseason where free agency begins, the rumors begin swirling around, and, and teams try to figure out what Kawhi is doing, what Kyrie is doing. Kevin Durant's doing, and the future of a lot of different players who are playing at an elite level. Uh, we look at the, the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, them basically coming out saying that for the right offer, they would move Marcus Saw. they'd move Mike Conley. I think that's going to change the landscape of the NBA. Yeah, It's going to change what players are drafted, where players are drafted at, and going forward, um, it's going to make a, a very, very entertaining summer, and I look forward to, to seeing what happens.
0: It's Super Bowl week, but uh, before we get to that, I promised promise you I'd fill you in on, um, you know my uh, my family stuff. Uh, obviously, if you haven't seen the news, um, there has been uh, just a little bit of talk about my dad and potentially uh, running for president. Uh, I, I am not involved with the with the potential campaign, uh, but I uh, I certainly. Um, am supportive of him and uh, with whatever he wants to do it's it's a little bit of an awkward position because like I have this career I've been trying to develop and a lot of people have asked me like for example CJ at this event we had for him in New York City this week they're like so what's your role with with the potential campaign are you going to be running it are you going to be speaking and like dude I'm I'm just trying to to do my thing like I mean I'm I'm trying to build my career
1: so it's a little bit awkward you know what I mean yeah, it's a, it's a tough place for you to be in, and obviously, no, none of us know what it's like to to be in your shoes and, and be in a position where your dad could potentially be running for for president. But I think the perception is that people think you're just going to quit your life and and uh, <laughs> help out on the campaign. But it's obvious that you have ambitions and goals and, and want to continue to work and improve upon yourself. So uh, I'm sure that's a interesting spot to be in, and just from a guy who's just watching watching from the sidelines I think that uh, your life is about to change either way it's going to change a lot and uh, I look forward to, to seeing kind of what happens you know, from, <laughs> <laughs> from from my point of view uh, I look forward to seeing what happens and if you stop responding to my text messages I, I understand uh, that you're, well I, I you just know, the security measures have have heightened <laughs> I'm just happy that you didn't stop responding after the triple double man come on man <laughs> I'd be chilling man i'm not that I'm not that guy same number since third grade man I just some people I respond to some people I don't, but you're on the uh respond list so
0: that was a funny conversation we had uh I don't know what maybe over the summer when i you, you said that you don't have a problem giving people your number, you just won't respond to most text yeah
1: everybody's everybody doesn't get a text back I'm not going to lie to you, man. And it's not that I think I'm bougie or above certain things, but my circle is tight knit i don't I don't believe in expanding too much. I think I got here for a reason. I have the right people in my corner and uh, I don't want to extend myself too much or open up to, to too much negativity or potential negativity. So uh, I, I keep a, a tight knit group. I respond to my friends. I respond to people I've, I've talked to my whole life. And and if I don't have your numbers saved or if I haven't talked to you in a calendar year, chances are um, I'm not going to respond because we have nothing to talk about. There's nothing to, there's nothing to catch up on. Uh, I've moved on with my life and obviously right. you've moved on with yours and and that's fine and I think that <laughs> I think that when you're when you're in a spot to where you're happy with the direction you're heading in you're striving for more and you have a good solid foundation you, know, you don't want to open yourself up too much and uh that's what I've kind of learned over the course of my career is just that keep it solid i I appreciate that you know I've always appreciated our friendship i
0: I will say this um you know i, I I've grown up having have having been very fortunate um but one one thing that is interesting is these this flood of text messages that i've received in the past few days from people that i personally don't know or that i might have met three years ago like so I, just to give you a quick example and then we can move on to more more pressing matters like i've gotten texts from people that let's say i don't have the number saved or i i, I kind of remember who they are but they'll say hey man um just thinking of you uh you came across my mind the other day, like do you, you think came I'm across my idiot? mind
1: three years later after my dad was on t v yeah like
0: I <laughs> come on like i i'm I, I love doing favors for people, but like if I haven't talked to you in three years or four years or nine months and and you all of a sudden need a huge favor or you're just pretending like we're in the, we have this great relationship and you're asking me about my kids like i i I mean, I'm not that stupid. I'm not the smartest guy, but I'm not the dumbest
1: either. Those are the messages I don't respond to. It's like I'm flying to a city, right, and I haven't talked to a person in two years. But they know we have a game in their city, so they'll reach out three days before the game. Hey, how's everything going? Just thought of you, whatever, whatever. And then ask for three tickets. Like, no. Oh. No, I'm not going to respond to you, and no, I don't have three tickets for you. For one, we only get two tickets on the road anyway. So, what makes you think that I'm going to purchase a ticket on your behalf when we don't even have a relationship? Wow. <laughs> like, just it's a it's a sick world, man. And it's just about you got to protect yourself sometimes. And what I learned most about you know being in a position of power and having you know a type of uh, I don't know, I don't even want to say fame, but when you're in a position of where you you can help change other people's lives you have to be able to say no. The power of no is an amazing tool. Being able to say no and being able to kind of cut ties with certain people who are bringing you down or affecting your life in a in a negative in a negative light. I think that's that's crucial. And you can you can feel the vibes and the energy based on the conversations, based on you know where they're heading in their lives and I'm not saying that everybody needs to be successful around you, but people need to have a plan in place and uh be trying to climb in the right direction as opposed to just standing still. Did it take
0: um, experience for you where you maybe didn't say no where you should have or you felt like it would have been the right thing to do, but you just didn't have it in you to learn from that and then being able to move on the next time to actually be able to say no to
1: someone? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely said yes to to some things I shouldn't have said yes to, not just because of what, what the actual ask was, but just because of the time commitment. You know, saying yes to a lot of things at this point in my career uh, isn't necessarily beneficial for me because I don't want to tie myself to certain things. I want to put my name on everything, for starters. And 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 two, my time. Like you, you realize it with kids and a family. Your time is is the most valuable thing you have, more valuable than money because you can't control when it ends. You can't control when your life is over. So you want to take advantage of every day and spend that time with people you care about, people you love, and. Sometimes the the most important thing in your day is your me time, being able to just sit there and and kind of analyze your thoughts, read a book, relax, meditate, sleep, take a nap. And when you say yes to too many things, you're extending yourself too much, whether that's buying people things, providing things for people, saving people's lives, bailing people out of of positions they they shouldn't have put themselves in, or endorsements, or public appearances, or community service work, whatever the case may be. It's good to do those things, but you have to do it on your time when it feels most right for you. Because a lot of times people will pressure you or try to make you feel bad for your success. Like, they'll try to make you feel like you change. When in reality, it's like, I haven't changed, but it's not my responsibility to take care of you and to, and to kind of save you in a situation that you shouldn't be in.
0: When we did that event um, earlier this fall with with Dame in Portland at the, uh, was it the
1: Portland Boys and Girls Club? Yeah, it was the uh, Boys and Girls Club of Portland Metro.
0: Right. When we did that, it was interesting because there, there must have been, I don't know, maybe maybe 40 kids, 35, 40 kids, uh, all pretty young, really young. And I watched you for an hour and a half with these kids and the way that they reacted to you and what it meant for you to be there for them and the way that you reacted to them with such humility and generosity and it's like that. That has to be really rewarding, but then there's the the issue of like somebody. Maybe it's a distant relative that needs money. Uh, like you said, somebody asking for tickets, whatever. Like th- there are there are good things to do um, that really add value, and there are things that you just have to say no to because it, maybe it's not helping, or maybe it's enabling somebody, or it's a, or it's detracting from your life. And those are the things that I think as we get older. Um, And as someone like you, who obviously has done really well for himself, um, those are the things you, you, you try to avoid, I would
1: imagine. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. I think I get the most joy out of being able to provide things for others, you know, whether that's a dream center, whether that's a conversation with a kid or being able to provide coding or instructions or... Uh, resources and tools uh, for kids or, or people who are in a position where they don't have the the right advantages around them. They don't have the right opportunities around them or they're just at risk kids who are products of their environment. You know, I get a lot out of that stuff. That That's some of the most enjoyable times in my life outside of you know pr- performing every day is being able to impact their lives. And it's not to say that I don't help family or I don't feel like people make mistakes or just come through rough times and need help. And I, I've been there to help people and will continue to be there to help the, the ones that I choose to. It's just about making decisions and sometimes understanding that we can't save everybody. And there's so much, There's only so much room on the boat. And that's one of the best the best advice I've gotten from some, some close uh, advisors in my life is there's only so much room in the boat. And The more people you pull in, the less space there is on that boat. And the more people you pull in, there's a chance that boat could sink underwater. So you just have to be cognizant and careful with who you allow to get get that close to you and have that much access to you.
0: Was some of that advice ever from, like, other vets or coaches? Or was that from family? Or did you have to learn that just on your, um, you know, by yourself?
1: I think it was a combination of all of them. You know, family, my brother, my mommy. Uh, my fiance, just being able to talk to people and just kind of like, listen, this is the situation I'm in. What do you think about it? Because a lot of times in in our world, you get caught up in what you see every day, you know, and you kind of lose sight of some of the things you went through and some of the things you overcome and how life was before this, because, you know, six, seven, eight, a decade goes by, you live in a certain way. You kind of, you kind of removed yourself from a certain lifestyle. So now you have to kind of go back and refresh and, you know, just to get another opinion on certain things and decisions that you're making in your life. And I think the vets, the guys who've made the most mistakes are the ones you want to talk to and the guys who've done things the right way because they can speak from personal experiences. And I've tried to be that guide to my younger, my younger players and I tell them as you make more money, as you gain more power, as you gain more of a platform, you just need to be careful with who you're surrounding yourself with. And that's not just from a, um, a family standpoint, that's from a a significant other standpoint. Be careful who you're choosing as your significant other because that will have a direct impact on your life day to day, how you perform in the court, what your future looks like, you know, when you want to have kids, what type of mother that, that woman is going to be. I so said, there's a lot of things that go into where we're at now at this point in our lives. And you have 19 year olds who are multi-multi-millionaires now. And that's a, that's a lot of responsibility for a kid who does six semesters in college and doesn't really understand the ins and outs of finances how to balance a checkbook, you know, how to how to do certain things that you learn at 25, 30, the process has been sped up for them. So just trying to give them big picture stuff that I was given by Mo Williams, by Darrell Wright, by Chris Kamen, a lot of those players who learn from trial and error and are trying to prevent you from going through the errors. CJ, what, what would have happened
0: had you um, come into the league at 20 or 21, not on the court, but how would off-the-court decisions been different for you, you think?
1: Well, I came in at 21. I turned 22 my rookie year, so I graduated high school Wow. Um, at 17. Because so I
0: thought you stayed—
1: I did. I stayed four years, but my birthday is in September, so my rookie year, I was turning 20, 22. Wow, so you were really young for your class. Okay, so what would have happened if you were to come in at 19
0: then a year out of
1: college? Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine you know, how I would have acted, and it's funny because we judge a lot of these kids— You know, based on the things they buy, what they do, the the trouble they may get into, the investment opportunities they may take advantage of or not take advantage of. Um, The city you get drafted to impacts you. You know, imagine being 19 years old in Miami, 19 years old in L.A. Like, that's a different type of lifestyle to where it's fast paced. You're a celebrity now. You're exposed to a lot more different things that you weren't exposed to in college. So for me, the wisdom that I was able to attain in college, the relationships, the poise, going through trials and tribulations and understanding that life's not going to be easy for me. I think that that helped me. But being a 19-year-old, man, I would have been lost. For one, you're young. You're not mature. You don't really have an understanding of what's expected of you at the professional level because you've never been there before. And you haven't had a chance to really make those kiddie mistakes that a lot of us make in college when there's no social media and no one really finds out about it. Now you make one of those little mistakes, it's blown up out of proportion and the media gets a hold of it and now you're judge forever. So I'm just thankful I was a mature kid, but at 19, I wouldn't have been ready to handle millions of dollars. I would have needed help. And the help is dependent upon who you're surrounded by, you know, your family members. If your mom and dad don't have knowledge and understanding of wealth because of the situation they're in, how are you going to hire the right people around you? How are you going to make the right investments when you don't have that foundation of understanding exactly what you have? It's, it's, it's funny, we had a talk in, in chapel the other day and the chaplain was basically saying that you know, a lot of times in, in certain experiences and certain things we go through, you have to go to people who have done it. And we were playing the Atlanta Hawks and he was talking about Vince Carter. You know, If you want to learn how to play in the league for 20 years, you don't go to a guy who played in the league for 10 years. You go to the guy who played in the league for 20 years and the same thing goes from the perspective of being a 19-year-old kid with millions of dollars. You need to go to some other players who have gone through you know, the situation that you're going to go through. Ask your vets, ask your older players what it was like, You know what type of things they look for in their financial advisor, You know who should be uh, handling your money, uh, making sure that you don't give up power of attorney. There's a lot of things that you don't know or understand because you're coming from a, a situation where you probably were in poverty, close to poverty, or even lower middle class, and now you're in the top 1%. More show in a minute, but first, support for pull-up a CJ McCollum comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website. Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website. Create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash pull up to get 10% off. Okay, back to the show.
0: This is Vince Carter on Ring Chasing. He said, quote, Of course I want a ring like every other player. It's easy to sit at the end of the bench and see your teammates play and win you a championship. But for me, I'd feel like internally I'm dying inside.
1: What did you make of that, uh, CJ? That is a hell of a quote, honestly. I think that... Yeah, it's loaded. I yeah. think that it kind of shows you the type of person he is. You know, The success he's had, Hall of Fame, career, career. Um, Almost, well, I think he was the all-time leading scorer in Toronto, and De- DeMar might, may have passed him, Dunk championships, played in big games, broken records. For him to say that, you know, 20 years in, I'm sure he could have signed with some contenders and sat on the bench or, or been one of those mentor players who, you know, on his way out gets a ring. But I think he has more inside of him to where he wants to compete. He wants to be a part of something. He wants to mold younger guys like Trey Young, younger guys like John Collins. He wants to have an impact Not only in their lives, but in the development of them while he's still playing towards the tailor end of his career. So that kind of gives you a perspective of the type of competitor he is and how, you know, he's willing to essentially, you know, play with some younger guys, uh, risk not winning all the time to still compete and have fun and feel like he's a part of something outside of ring chasing. You have a lot of respect for that, it sounds like. I have a lot of respect for him because it would be easy for him to just not care about you know the public perception or like even go against his own morals because it sounds like these are things that deep inside of him that's in, indebted in him and his relationship and mentality with the game of basketball to where he's like look man I want to win a championship just as bad as anybody else but I'm not selling my soul wow and that's essentially what he's said that's essentially what he's saying like I could I could go sit on somebody's bench and maybe get a participation trophy uh but I want to compete and I want to be a part of it and I think that he realizes that, you know, at this at this stage in his career, however many years he has left, he's decided that he doesn't want to take that route. And I commend him because he's a Hall of Famer regardless. Yeah, man, I, uh, I, I've i read this quote
0: 20 times, and uh, every time I read it, it's almost like I feel something differently because you want, like, as as fans, as players, you, know, you always want to win, and you want your team to win, but you also... Like, every guy is different, in that competitive fire of feeling like a participation trophy against feeling like something that you earned or didn't earn, I have a tremendous amount of respect for. I mean, Vince Carter has been in the league almost two decades. It's an incredible run that this guy has had. He's still an effective player, and he's now, not only is he losing games, but you're right, he's got a... For a a guy that that should, that could have a huge ego, he has to work with young players that are still learning how to play at this level. You mentioned Trey. You mentioned John Collins, um, a first-year head coach and Lloyd Pierce. It's got to be humbling for him because he is going to the Hall of Fame, and yet um, it's almost like he's starting over. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it it is essentially that way, and it's like life is coming full circle for him because there was a point in time where he was that young guy who had vets on his team that were kind of – you know, showing him the ropes. And I think this game is always interesting and it always comes full circle. You're a young guy in the league, you know, trying to learn your way. And then you become an old older guy in the league trying to show the younger fellas the way. And then you have a better appreciation, understanding of your trials and tribulations and what the older guys uh, were trying to kind of get across to you when you were younger. Right. And it's just, it's just funny how, like, six years ago, like, how my mindset has changed and how I approach the game now compared to when I did then and, and how little I knew then, but I thought I knew a lot. Right. But there's just so much you learn from experience that just can't be – like, some people can't prepare you for certain things. You have to go through it yourself, and I never understood that until I got in this position.
0: So imagine – by the way, he's been in the league two decades, so credit to Vince, but imagine how you'll feel in six more years when you're my age
1: at 33. Right. I'm sure that that'll be a completely different experience. And I'll have a, like a 19-year-old kid on my team at that point for sure, or maybe 18 with a rule change potentially coming in place. I'll be 33 years old with a 19-year-old kid on my team and like just to, to try to continue to mold them and, and help them point them in the right direction. And I'm sure the game will have changed again in six years too. Like the way the game is played, obviously now, uh, 20 years 20 years ago, Vince Carter... The arenas probably were different. I'm sure the names have changed in a lot of arenas. There's probably more bridges in certain cities. The roads have changed. The food, the type of food you eat, the the travel, the private jets. I'm sure a lot of things have been added in in the last 20 years that weren't there when he first got to the league. Yeah.
0: Um, speaking of old and new, uh, that's a what we would call in the biz a professional transition. Tom Brady, who is about the same age as Vince Carter, against Jared Goff who is about the age of an NBA rookie or some NBA rookies. Um, what what do you like in this matchup? You know I like the Rams. I think you like the Patriots. Are you sticking with the pick, and are you rooting for Tom Brady to win
1: a seventh championship? Or six, I should say. Uh, I have no rooting interest right now. I haven't put any money on the game yet, but just kind of analyzing and, and watching from afar, um, I think that Tom Brady's leadership, his experience, um, the fact that he's battle tested and, and has essentially faced every type of defense, he's he's faced every type of obstacle um, and has answered the call time and time again. I think that he'll be prepared. And having lost the Super Bowl last year, I think that that kind of haunts him and will drive and motivate him to win this uh, this upcoming Super Bowl. And I think the Rams are a great team. I think that they're in position to to do some great things. They have a, a tremendous defense, tremendous offensive coordinator and head coach, and golf is a great player, but. In this particular instance, in this situation, that experience and that, that championship uh, pedigree from the Patriots, they're all battle-tested. They've all been there before. They probably have a Super Bowl routine that they're going through because this is like the ninth time for Brady and the sixth and seventh time for a lot of those players. They know what to expect, whereas that, that element of surprise is something you can't really prepare for, so I'm not sure how the Rams will react to that. But I look forward to a great game, and I hope Tom Brady's able to get another ring. But if he's not... Uh, my life will stay the same because I don't think I'm going to be wagering anything in this in this case.
0: I, I like that Tom Brady is not, uh, you know, offering advice to Jared Goff. Yeah, I think that was uh, like pe- some people are saying, oh, you know, he should he should give him advice. Uh, this is the old to the new, but like Tom Brady is one of the ultimate competitors in sports like history. Regardless of if you like him or not, if you like the Patriots or not, the guy is one of the real like true winners. And for him to give Jared Goff advice is like, is like, it's so far from his thought process. So I actually appreciated it, and I didn't think it was fair that people were getting were, were were saying that you know Tom Brady
1: should be more mature, if you will. I think it's blasphemy. It's not his job to help mold the the opposing team. No, the opposing team's leader. I wouldn't have told him nothing either. Like, I'm here to destroy you. I hope you have a terrible game. I hope everything that you prepare for doesn't work out. And I hope we beat the brakes off of you. And I go home happy with another championship. Like, that's the mentality of a killer. You don't really care about the other team. You know, You hope that everything goes and, and goes wrong. Interception versus play, fumble on the kickoff. Like, you hope all the things go in your favor and that you win and you walk away happy. Yeah. And that's the mentality you have to have. You can't really care or spare his feelings or try to encourage him or prepare him, allow him to to have a one-up on you. No, you want to destroy him and take his heart away. And I think that's what Tom Brady's trying to do. And that's what he's done historically. And that's why he's one of the greatest players ever.
0: For what it's worth, Jared Goff, to your point, uh, CJ, top five in the the league in yards per attempt, top 10 in passer rating, 32 touchdowns, 12 picks, uh, made a Pro Bowl. And for much of the season was was in the MVP discussion and yet he has not been the same guy in the playoffs. His total quarterback rating is uh, under 63, which is uh, for lack of a better word, not good. Um, Do you think that he's ready to at least have a good game and put them in a position to win? Or would you be, would you not be surprised if Jared Goff just sunk it up?
1: Uh, I think he's prepared from a standpoint of, I'm sure he's watching film. I'm sure the coaching staff is doing a great job of, Putting him in a position to call a good game, but this is a different level of play, you know, playing in the playoffs, the scouting, the scouting increases, The, the attention to detail increases, they pick up on tendencies faster and they have a specific game plan in place to where you're the only focus. We have to figure out a way to put you in a position where you're not comfortable. And we're not worried about next week. We're only worried about stopping you. And I think that's the difference between the playoffs and the Super Bowl. Now you get to the Super Bowl, and this is it. We have all our marbles here, and we're going to do everything in our power to make it as as tough of a time as possible for Brady and as tough of a time as possible for Goff. And I think that's why you've seen some quarterbacks struggle because – the blitzes are coming. The schemes are changing. They're, they're adjusting to your play call, and they're adjusting to some of the tendencies you have at the line of scrimmage. they are figuring out, you know, some of the things you like to do, you know, when you're audible into a run versus when you're audible into a pass, you know, which way you look first when you, when you drop back for your three-step drop. And that's when the creativity comes out, being able to improvise. And I think the, the more experience you have, the easier it is for you to improvise and kind of draw back on those past experiences, which is why I think if the Rams are smart, they'll utilize the run game, utilize a lot of miscellaneous and misdirection type plays to where he can be comfortable with run pass options. He can be comfortable with having multiple options and quick reads to get rid of the ball because they're going to be coming. And I'm sure Tom Brady will be making quick reads as well because that defensive line, that secondary is real. And it's up to the offensive coordinators to be creative. And not only that, like Todd Gurley,
0: arguably one of the best five players in the league. You know, he didn't He was basically non-existent in the NFC Championship, and um, you know he did have a touchdown, but he was otherwise, um, you know, really benched. And I don't know if it was an injury. We've talked about this. I think he needs to have 25 touches in this game. I do like the Rams to win. Um, I think I have you on record now picking the Patriots. Is that is that fair without a score?
1: Uh, that's fair. I think the Patriots are going to win. Okay. I'm comfortable with saying that on the record. Wow. Well, I, I, I got to ta- tell. I'll have to do some more research to give you a score.
0: I was just going to say, I got to ta- I love, love a score. Uh, I am on the record 31 21 Rams. 31 21? Yes. And uh, Super Bowl MVP, Todd Gurley. Yeah, I like that prediction, honestly. I think
1: that that's something that could. You like that, right? That could, not, that it's could, not too crazy. That could happen, honestly. I wouldn't be surprised if the Rams won, but I just think that. Looking at the landscape of the NFL, it's going to be a good game. The Patriots rarely get blown out, especially in Super Bowl. So it's going to be a good game. It's just dependent upon turnovers and what defense can really make it difficult on the opposing quarterback.
0: Well, here's how you know I'm wrong: is that uh, my pre-playoffs pick, as you know, was the Rams. So um, that means I'll definitely be wrong <laughs> because I got lucky last week or two weeks ago that the the referees, um, you know, played played a role in the. In the outcome, so there you go. Even more reason for all the betters out there to uh, to lean on New England and allow Tom Brady to get that that elusive uh, six championship. <laughs> um, do we want to talk a little uh, a, a little
1: wine? Well, uh, we could definitely do that. Cue the wine music, please. As you know, we love to d- to discuss wine, and I've been encouraged to discuss some other topics. I actually was encouraged to discuss some. Uh, Some different types of drafts and beers out here in Oregon, but I don't drink beer So that would be hard for me to discuss and talk about however I will ask some experts uh, about some different types of beer uh, that that are brewed here and and try to give you guys feedback and information on that But back to what we all love and know wine. I recently did a tasting at Adelsheim Um, Trying to think what day that was it was this essentially last Friday Saturday the day before we played the Atlanta Hawks, I did a, I did a wine tasting, and I went through some bubbly Chardonnay. I went through some different Pinots. Um, I went through a variety of Reds, and just to get a better understanding of the grapes, uh, how the atmosphere changes the grapes, how the actual temperature changes the grapes, and the location. Uh, On the vineyard, uh, whether it's facing north versus south, all those things have a a factor in the type of grape and the taste of it. So I went through a a tasting and my favorite, one of my favorite wines uh, during the trip was a 91 uh, Pinot Noir. And it was very, very special. I actually took a picture of the bottle and put it on Vivino. And uh, for those of you out there that don't have my Vivino, one day I will expose the actual login for it, but it was a temperous hill, Pinot Noir, it was in 1991. And I don't even think it's listed, but it's in it's the Eola and Amity Hills. And it was very, very good. Very, very good, a little aciditic, but more on the smooth, dry and light side. And there was a little bit of berry taste, blackberries, blueberries, little pepper, and it was earthy leather. And there's, li- there's a black truffle listed that I just didn't taste, but I definitely tasted the fruits and it had a very, very light taste, and I think that's because of the aging. Light taste. Uh, light. It appeared to be light in the glass, and I think that's because of the aging, but that was what I had, and I really enjoyed it. It was a great time.
0: Wow. That sounds great, man. Um, and this was in uh, Willamette, right? This was in, yeah, I guess that's considered Willamette, t- towards, uh, uh, I think it's Newburgh, Nyberg. And did you have, like, um, were you able to try different varieties of, like, like different grapes, or was it just the Pinot?
1: Yeah, I tried different grapes. The the bubbly Chardonnay was absolutely oh, Chardonnay, extraordinary. Sure. I don't even yeah. like Chardonnays yeah. and things like that. So I was able to try, I tried uh, one, two, three, I would say six, seven Pinots. I tried some Chardonnay, some different variations of Chardonnay, the early stages of it out the barrel versus the uh, more finished uh, stages after it sat for a year, two years. Uh, And it was able to kind of really open up. And uh, you you could definitely taste the difference. And the more I go and learn and ask questions, uh, the more interested I am in in these grapes and uh, how these vineyards are able to turn around. Me too. Turn around grapes and and prevent it from turning into vinegar.
0: Yeah, I I find the entire uh, wine process uh, just so elegant and fascinating. And um, every time I think I I, I start to understand it, um, I realize that I'm, I'm... complete neophyte and uh have so much more to learn but i did have a really nice uh, bottle this week a Goldeneye anderson valley pinot uh it was under sixty dollars um and it was really terrific I-, I didn't know it but it's the uh original founders of the duckhorn vineyard which is a, a really classic cab in-, in california and uh the golden eye was just it was awesome uh, i had two glasses loved it had it with uh, some salmon, and uh, it really complemented it well. And I'm trying to find, like, value, va- more value wines. This is still a little pricey. At, I think it was $58, but um, certainly uh, worth, worth it. And, and I must say, uh, again, California Pinos,
1: man, they just continue to find ways to my heart. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that. And that's what I'll add to the list. I have some time over the neck after this game against the Utah Jazz. I'll have some time to place your order for your wine. So I'll be texting you uh, to get an address. Oh, wow. And to, uh, to get the names of what you want so I can place that order in the next five days. So don't worry, man. I haven't forgotten uh, about our, our little, our little <laughs> you're, wager. You're too kind. I I appreciate that, brother. No problem at all, man. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, backslash, pull up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to
0: pull up, pull up,